Welcome to episode five of TikTok. I'm Brandon, and as always, I'm here with Jimmy. And today, Jimmy and I sit down with Jill Bobula. Jill is former president of the Ottawa chapter of Tourette Canada, and we are looking forward to sharing what Jill had to say. Jill, I want to hear about your story with Tourette syndrome. I want to hear about everything that you feel comfortable sharing and all of your experiences in regarding to Tourette's. Uh, so the reason why I became involved with Tourette Canada was because uh, I have a family member who's affected and um, trying to uh, trying to learn more about Tourette syndrome forced me to uh, reach out to different organizations. And so in doing so, I realized that uh, I wanted to become involved. And by becoming involved, I uh, would build relationships with other people, families who are also affected by Tourette syndrome. Um, and then that would allow me to hear their stories and learn from them um, and become that much more familiar. And so um, I became more involved in, in the chapter workings and uh, in doing so realized that um, the chapter needed to do a better job of reaching out to people in the community, letting them know what Tourette syndrome is all about, educating uh, children, youth and adults, uh, the community at large on what the condition, the complicated condition is, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. So um, it grew from a, a, a desire to understand what the condition is to wanting to go out there and advocate and educate people on what Tourette syndrome really is. And so once you got involved with the chapter, what did you notice um, were the shortcomings at first? And uh, what was your, I guess, your journey like to, uh, to try to turn that around? Good question. So uh, shortcomings are uh, different different shortcomings. So as a, an individual who wanted to learn more about Tourette syndrome, what I found was that there were very little resources out in the community that people could reach out to um, about Tourette syndrome. So the resources and support were very limited uh, in, in the Ottawa Carleton area. And um, so what I did with the other folks that volunteered at the chapter was to try and build a core of volunteers who would be willing to support folks out in the community who would come to us for resources and information, uh, whether it's uh, where do I find a psychiatrist, a psychologist to um, my child at school is not getting the support they need from the teachers, the colleagues, um, colleagues at work don't understand uh, the Tourette syndrome and how it affects individuals. So it was uh, really the bottom line was um, educating. The level of education about Tourette syndrome was, was terrible because nobody really understood the condition. There's a lot of, like I said before, misinformation out there. People think it's about someone who swears and someone who has rage attacks. Well, the truth of the matter is that it's much more complicated than that. Um, in the 1980s, there was a show about, uh, it was like a law and order show. And one of the characters had Tourette syndrome. And one of their vocal tics was copolalia, which is the swearing tic. And so um, throughout the segment that this character was being portrayed in this TV show, uh, he was swearing all the time. And so I think Hollywood kind of grasped onto that, that characterization of Tourette syndrome and, and basically made it to, to amplify that, that that's what Tourette syndrome was. When mm. the truth is less than 10% of people that have Tourette syndrome have copolalia. Mm. But because of that, so many people out in the community think that Tourette syndrome is someone who swears. And what that does is it creates a lot of stigma, a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment for those who are affected because 
if they go out to the community and they say they have Tourette's syndrome, people automatically think, oh, you swear. Um, yeah. Or you've got rage attacks, that type of thing. And so to answer your question, Brennan, what we found is that there was a lack of education in the community. And one of the things that I really wanted to do was make sure that people understood what Tourette's syndrome was. So what would you, what would you say if, if there was somebody who wanted, had Tourette's or, or had family with Tourette's and they wanted to, to better educate, how would you, like, what do you think the best way to do it is? Uh, you know, it's a, another good question. Uh, so read the information that's out there. There's a lot of books on Tourette's syndrome. There's a lot of uh, medical journals people can refer to. If you go to Tourette Canada uh, website, you have information about Tourette syndrome. If you go to our website, local chapter, tsottawa.com, uh, I'm gonna say that again, tsottawa.com, there's information about Tourette syndrome. Become involved in organizations that um, work with those who are affected by Tourette syndrome because you learn a lot by speaking with people, listening to people, hearing their stories, their techniques, their trips, uh, tips and tricks. I mean, if I were to ask you to, what were the techniques and tips and tricks that helped you survive thus far? I'm sure you'd have mm. like a, you know, an arsenal full of information you oh, could yeah. pass on to those like mm. me and others who would love to hear that information. I often yeah. get phone calls from parents whose children are recently diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome and they're grieving, they're crying, they're upset because they think, you know, this is the end of the rope. And this is the end of the line. Who's, who's going to love my child? What are they going to do in the future? How are, are they going to have a future? Will anybody mm -hmm. hire them? And so uh, I think it's important for people to understand what this neurological condition is, but also that there's no limitations to what people who are affected by it can, can do. Right. Exactly, exactly. So um, just to... Uh, I, just to give some context to your work um, with the chapter, how long have you been involved for? Oh boy, uh, 16 years, I think, 16, 17 years. Yeah, I think uh, one, one year after I joined the chapter, I became the president and I was the president for 15 years. And mm -hmm. I just last year uh, relinquished that uh, title to uh, Aaron McEwen and uh, you as well, Brandon, uh, helping out uh, in the leadership of, of the chapter, yeah. So what my goal was throughout those years, aside from providing resource and support to those in the community, is to educate people. And so the way we did that was we uh, went and found some funding to create the awareness campaign where we have bus signs that uh, basically refer to Tourette's syndrome. Uh, outside buses, inside buses. And the reason why we went through that uh, uh, medium was because we knew that throughout the Ottawa Carleton area you'd have buses going in and out everywhere and there's people that view the buses the back the side of the buses all the time and so that brought in people into our chapter and so that allowed us to again advocate educate and what I do is I actually go into the schools from Kingston all the way to Montreal and I give um I give presentations on Tourette's syndrome in French and in English um, at all levels of school as well as in offices. Mm -hmm. Which and is fantastic. Yeah, there's a, we, you can, um, people can access that, that talk on the website, correct? Is that presentation available? I, I, I believe there's information on the website about uh, the, the presentation. Jimmy and I, a couple of years ago, went to a teacher's conference that they had in Ottawa. And that was like a two, three hour um, mm. teacher's session. And that was really good because we were able to speak to a whole bunch of teachers who are uh, crucial in helping these kids deal with some of their issues day in and day out, right? Particularly mm. at school when a lot of the children don't understand what it is and a lot of the teachers don't understand what Tourette's syndrome is. So by educating these teachers, it was great because they could then in turn go and educate folks in their uh, academic environment. Well, I imagine that, uh, yeah, it's probably a, a big problem if the teacher doesn't understand what's going on. They might perceive 
the behavior is just acting out or something like that, um, where that's not the case. Brendan, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've heard stories where the teacher truly does not understand threat syndrome and, and they punish the child, they humiliate the child. And it's not only at school, it's parents as well. Parents who don't want to think that there's anything wrong with their child, that the, their child's not perfect the way they imagine a child ought to be. But I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know any child that's perfect. Maybe I was when I was a kid, but you know, I'm the exception <laughs> to the rule. <laughs> no, but the, really the reality is, is there's a lot of parents out there that, um, um, also don't understand Tourette's syndrome. And so they, they, mm -hmm. they humiliate or they, they don't want their kids ticking. They'll tell them yeah. to stop. They'll punish them. Um, it's, it's something it's, we see a lot, isn't it? It is. It's so sad. It's really sad. Yeah. And oftentimes the parents might have Tourette's syndrome themselves and not even realize it. I remember... Right. I remember a family come because when we when I get the phone calls from the families who, who are new to Tourette syndrome, I invite them over, and uh, you know we talk about it and uh, try to make them feel like that there is hope. Um, and I remember this one family came over; their daughter, who would have been 11 at the time, they said was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. So they had two girls: the 11-year-old, they had a, a, a younger daughter, probably about eight and the parents and they were sitting in the living room. And so the, the, gr the girl was ticking, the one that has Tourette syndrome was ticking, but the father was doing facial grimacing and he had a little vocal tick. So I asked the parents, I said, so is there anybody else in the family that has Tourette syndrome? Nope, they both said. So sometimes it, it's obvious to me because I'm outside the family unit and I can see with different eyes um, but sometimes the, just within the family itself, there's, there's a lot of denial. And, and that's what I think um, we find just by the people that we've talked to. Um, it might not be, it might be difficult to, um, as, a, as a parent or parents that don't know anything about Tourette's, because like I said, we are part of this community and we know Tourette's like at, at a very deep level. And because we've sought out the research and, and we want to get, uh, we want to know more about it, but somebody who, who doesn't know anything about it, they might not be able to even identify it in their own child or even in themselves if they've, if they've never had any exposure or experience yeah. with it. And what compounds it is the associative <clears throat> conditions that come with Tourette syndrome. So the common associative conditions are attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, sensory dysfunction, depression, sleep disorder, learning disabilities. So if, for example, if you have a, a child who not only has Tourette, but let's say has ADHD, anxiety, and OCD, but the ADHD and the OCD is what gives the individual and the family more concern, then the focus will be on those conditions. So they'll less be they'll be less prone to really focus on the ticks that might be minimal and not dysfunctional, right? So they may not be getting the attention they need. And sometimes people are afraid to go see uh, a doctor. They don't want the label. They feel that if they're labeled, they're going to be discriminated against. And there, there's some truth to that. On the other side That's of the coin, concern. though, it is. But on the other side of the coin is... If you identify someone as having different conditions, there's support and help out there. And so um, if it's identified, you can go seek that extra help. There's yes. a lot of power not living in the, under a dark cloud too. When, when you say, hey, I, I have Tourette's, I own it, this is me. There's a lot of power in, in that, right? Yeah, Isn't that you a beautiful thing? You really have to struggle alone if, uh, if you never are able to to seek out anybody to talk to about it, um, even and if that's it, right? yeah, if that's doctors or you know, like people in the in the support groups, even just anybody that that you can feel accepted around to talk to open up about it until you can feel comfortable with it, because I think that's a process as well. Um, I remember the day that I uh, was diagnosed. And when I was in university and I remember walking out of the, the, the clinic and 
instantly feeling um, like an identity crisis and not knowing how to how to navigate that. And I think that you know over time and, and becoming more comfortable with it yourself, accepting it, then you can start to to really uh, embrace it and start to move forward with with um, I don't know about treating it, but you know yeah. managing it better. I think it's it's a really hard thing to accept at first. Well, my, my dream is for people to, one, understand what the condition is, and then two, be able to freely advocate for themselves. And, you know, what Jimmy was saying, it's almost like, well, I'd like to think that being comfortable with what you have and who you are, I mean, Tourette syndrome doesn't define who you are. It's part of who you are, but it doesn't define who you are. And once you get your head wrapped around that, and you understand what the condition is, and you can advocate for yourself. I would think that it would be freeing because you can talk about it freely. You're not hiding. You're not mm-hmm. hiding anything. You don't feel like you have to hide. Um, you know, I once said to someone, you know, if you feel the need to tick, then just tick. And they said to me that they didn't want to do it in public because they were sure people would think they were a freak. I mean, how sad is that? That is so mm-hmm. sad. Well, I think yeah. that, you know, what is potentially even more sad than that is that um, because of the lack of, uh, you know, awareness about it, people might actually think that they are a freak, it, it, depending yeah. on how on right. their sex, right? Right. So exactly. That's why it's so important, uh, you know, to get the proper information out. Yes. And um, that's, and that's obviously the goal, but it's it's so hard to do especially when it seems that uh you know a lot of focus is on other um mental health issues i mean it's great that mental health is becoming uh into the forefront of of you know discussions and research and awareness i just i just really wish that um tourette's would get would get a little bit more of that that uh attention attention yeah one in a hundred one in a hundred people are affected by tourette's syndrome yeah, I, I can see how it doesn't get the attention it does because you can't say causally say that Tourette's, for instance, causes self-harm. You can't say, but you can say depression and, and anxiety and things like, like everyone experiences anxiety and depression, but only one in a hundred people experience tics. And then even less of those people experience violent tics and then even less experience corpulalia. Mm-hmm. So it just gets like smaller and smaller. And then people just go, okay, well, I have no idea what it's like to not be able to control my body. So I... You know, I can't relate to this. This is funny. People swear, ha ha, it's all good. Um, but then it leaves 1% of the population, which is a, quite a few people, with thinking, well, I'm alone. Nobody understands. I don't really understand. The research is extremely unclear. I don't know how to treat it. And there's no one to talk to about it. <laughs> right. And, and that, I think, sorry, go ahead. I, w- I was just going to say that in itself could lead to the depression that exactly. causes, causes the, uh, the other exactly. issues. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not really it, like the ticks themselves don't cause the depression. Um, right. But the, but the, uh, all yeah, of the social isolation, hiding, all yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, that's and, why and that, the work at the chapter is super important is to be able to reach out to those people and let them know that they're not alone, that they can re- they can come to us and to talk, to listen, to hear other people's struggles and challenges, to share their experiences and the challenges that they have to let them know that, you know, we're a community, we're here for you. Yeah. And it's a hard yeah. balance I'd imagine for, for parents and siblings and uncles and aunts and grandparents to be truly accepting because you do want that perfect kid. Right. Especially I don't like the, the way I, I understand it at least is most kids don't quite experience it as soon as they can walk. Most of the time it's a, it's a delayed onset. Right. Um, so it's like uh, between onset, what, seven and 10? Four to seven years of age is the average okay. onset of ticks. Four to four seven. Time, okay. yeah, four to seven, four times more boys than girls. So I'm imagining like you go zero to four and you're just this cute little kid who's a little monster or a cute little princess. And, and then, oh no, like princess has a tick. And then people don't want that view to get distorted. And so they're just playing this denial game. And, um, those are such fundamental years. One of the things that we talked about on the podcast with Kevin was the fundamental years and development and Tourette's and how influential 
they are for future development and something that would be an if i if we could make a small dent on the amount of parents that are confused about Tourette's and, and a, a dent in their parenting style towards positively empowering a child that would make everything all the hours that we talk worth it because it's so important that can't be understated that, that so many people with Tourette's are permanently scarred because of the way that their parents right. treated them with Tourette's right and exactly. again sorry Jill I, I just want to go back again to what I was saying earlier about not about the parents not being aware because um yeah like they see their daughter or their son start to have a, a motor tick which typically starts first but as as they the child gets older um and you know the parents tell them to stop ticking which we know is a terrible thing to do but also like Jimmy like you said anything could be a tick so uh the child maybe the parents make you know force them to stop uh I don't know wincing or something and so they're really trying hard to do that and then maybe because of that another tick develops that might be more behavioral or something that you know more of a noise and their parents might think that they're just trying to be like they're being annoying or something and and really hammer on them for it but it's it's related to the Tourette's it's not mm -hmm. just because they're trying to get attention or something yeah so you can imagine the parents are the the source of greatest love for children and if they understood what Tourette syndrome was and they provided that support. Um, and like you said, Brandon, one of the things that I always say when I finish my presentation, I always say, if there's only one thing that you're going to remember from this presentation, I want it to be that you never ever ask someone who's ticking, whether it's a motor tick, which is a physical tick or a vocal tick to not tick because that means you're not accepting of who they are and their Tourette syndrome. And the last thing you want to do is break down their self-confidence and their self-esteem by not accepting everything mm -hmm. about them. So really, you're right. The most important people to uh, provide the support and advocacy for the child are the parents. And that's really key. It's a really key point in, for, for anybody dealing with um, individuals who are affected by Tourette syndrome. So I mean, not only community workers, volunteer workers, but even health professionals, like psychologists, psychiatrists, family doctors. family doctors. Yeah. I mean, I had a, a, a mom call me. Uh, she's a, a psychology professor at University of Ottawa, whose daughter was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. She's a psychology professor at the university. And she called me because she wanted to cure her daughter of Tourette syndrome. I was shocked. I mean, we all know that there's no cure for Tourette syndrome, uh, no medical, right? Awareness. Yeah. Awareness, right? Like, yeah. read up on this information. Um, yeah, it's really key that people learn as much as they possibly can about Tourette syndrome. Watch videos, listen to podcasts, talk to people, get involved, do the reading as much as they possibly can to get a really good Jill grasp of what it is. Do you know what the literature is in terms of like when a, when a general practitioner, practitioning doctor goes to uh, medical school, do you know what the, what they get in psychologists, do you know what they get on Tourette syndrome? Is it a page? Do they get yeah. anything? Yeah, do you know? That's a good question. No, I don't know, but I can't imagine that as much because I've met a lot of doctors who don't know a lot about Tourette syndrome. Mm -hmm. Well, my family, my family doctor told me to throw my diagnosis in the trash when I, went back uh, at first and first told him about it. Imagine. I remember giving a presentation at a psychiatric institute not far from Ottawa. Uh, and so I was talking to uh, health professional workers as well as psychiatrists. And so I gave my talk on Tourette syndrome. And afterwards, one of the psychiatrists came up to me and he said, uh, you know, I'm ashamed to say this. I really thought I knew what Tourette syndrome was, but I realized I didn't. He had patients that had Tourette syndrome and he was telling me that he had one patient whose tick totally annoyed him. And every time he was in a session with his patient and they were doing their tick, he would tell him to stop it, that he mm. knew he had the power to control it. And so he, he, he said to me, he goes, you know, I feel ashamed having done that. 
I, I a mean, psychiatrist. There is, uh, that's, that's another thing I wanted to say, it, to tell someone to stop ticking, like, you know, there is the power to control the tick, but that doesn't come uh, without a cost, right. which I would say is, uh, it, you know, uh, mental well-being. Like, if I have to stop a tick, that's all that I'm thinking about the entire exactly. time that I have to stop it. So if you're going to have a conversation with me, and but but before you say, before we start this conversation, you can't do any ticks. I'm not going to hear a word that you say to me. <laughs> it's going to be the most boring conversation we've ever had. So when I do the presentations or I talk to someone about ticks, I always say, you know, if you really want to get a grasp of what it's like to have a tick, don't blink. Don't blink. Keep your eyes open for 60 seconds because your brain's telling your body to do something. You don't think about it. It's not like you think every second, okay, I'm going to blink. Okay, I'm going to blink. Okay, I'm going to blink. No, it's automatic. So it's the same thing to a large degree with someone who has Tourette syndrome. The brain makes the body make different movements and sounds. You don't really think about it. It's, it just happens. And so by getting people to stop blinking for 60 seconds, they realize how difficult it is to prevent their body from doing something that seems so normal. And it's like yeah. someone who's got their tics, right? Like holding your breath. You know, you don't exactly. think about breathing all day. Right. But as soon as you do start thinking about it, you can control it. But, you know, you can only hold it for so long. Right. <laughs> it's right. been so long for me since I've actually held in my ticks for a long period of time. But there was a, I was out on a walk recently and I decided I would try and not tick for my whole walk just to remember kind of what it's like. I quit after about two minutes. I was like, no, I'm not doing this. This is awful. Because I forgot the physical, just, it's angst. not pain, but it's just angst. like this. Yeah, it's angst. It's angst. You're just bound up. And you just shut down. I was walking with Island, my my fiance, and I just like couldn't we couldn't have a good conversation. I was like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I can't do this anymore. Did you know you were doing that? Yeah. Did you know you're trying yeah. to stop yourself. And I, I when I when we started dating, for instance, I I used to hold in my ticks, but I would just go to the washroom and tick. And then I told her like this was I lasted like maybe two dates, and then I was like, you know what? <laughs> I have Tourette's, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna start twitching. And that was right around the time that I started to tell people. And actually, Brandon, I wanted to ask you this and Jill, you as well. Um, Jill, I, I suppose yours would be third party knowledge, but Brandon, did you, um, did you have to develop the vernacular and how, like the way that you delivered the, your, your initial speech to somebody about Tourette's? Like for me, I remember it started off very clunky. Like I would say to people, you know, when I first decided to like, you know, come out of the proverbial Tourette's closet, I would say, I have Tourette's. Um, and then I would kind of just jumble my words and not know what to say. But did you have to go through that, Brandon? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, at first, like I said, I was, um, I don't even, I wouldn't even tell anybody, right? Because I couldn't even accept it yet. Um, yeah. But as, as I started to, yeah, um, it was similar where, you know you kind of be sh you'd be kind of shy to say anything um but i think now the way that i go about it now is really um i kind of make it out like like comical i try to make it like really light like if someone mm -hmm. says something about it or i notice you know i'm ticking a lot i'll be like oh man yeah my tourette's you know like i've got it like i've got tourette's and yeah you know or, or i'll do something and i'll be like oh my tourette's it's, the, it's, it's obvious as if you're wearing a white shirt and you had a coffee stain. You'd be like, you're not going to say you don't have a coffee stain. You're like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's all good. And then you brush it off and then the conversation continues and the person's able to not see the coffee stain anymore because they're just engaged with you. But then if you don't say it, they're going to be like, you have a coffee stain and they're going to want to tell you about it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Like walking in a room with your fly down or something. If you just point yeah. to it first and say, <laughs> I have my fly down. Yeah, yeah. Like oh. keep your eyes up here, you know. Yeah, and people well, don't want to say that. People don't want to say, "Oh, you got your fly down." They want to be like, right. "Let them figure it out." And they kind of do the same thing with Tourette's. Yeah, like like we don't know that it's happening. Yeah, that's the yeah. that's the remember, that's kind of the idea I get. Yeah, I remember going into um, this hardware store, and I saw this man, and I thought he was ticking. I thought he was like he had a physical and he had a, a physical and a vocal tick and it was pretty intense and pretty loud 
And I was super excited. So I went up to him and I said, hey, I said, you got Tourette's syndrome? And he just slashed out at me, started swearing at me, told me to, you know, go, go you know where. Mm-hmm. And I was in shock. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know what? I got to be careful. I mean, I, I, I want to be able to, to tell people, you know, be free to be who you are. Uh, if you want to tick, tick. And, but then there's people who just don't feel comfortable doing that and, or admitting yeah. it. Or, I mean, he would really upset. I actually came out of there. I was crying because I thought, oh, my gosh, I upset that man so much. I felt so bad. Mm-hmm. And yet, was um, it? He was it older. Was purely like... innocent. Yeah, I'd say he was probably in his forties. Uh, so he's probably gone his whole life, and he's just been. I'm just living with this. I'm not going to tell anybody. Sure it's all good. Or he didn't even know who yeah. it was well, because he never went to address it. Yeah. You know. Well, let me ask you this: Do you really think that they don't? That someone who has Tourette syndrome doesn't know that they do something different than other people? Well, I will say because I was um, almost 20 when I when I actually got diagnosed, yeah. I mean, I knew that I did uh, things, but I didn't know that it was, um, they were that they were all connected and that there was a name for it. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Right? So- Your I, brother were also all... just like, you wanted to be, you didn't want to have Tourette, so you're- No, and like... it, was only, it was only when it became so, um, disrupted to my life when I actually went and then and then I was told what it was and even after that I didn't want to believe it but I could see I could see how somebody either just thinks this is just what I do like these are just mm-hmm. my my habits yeah um, and maybe even if they think that it's more than that. They don't want to go and talk to anybody about it. I think um, I'm pretty sure that I don't know the statistics, but men are pretty reluctant. I think to go to oh my uh, to seek out medical care for different for different things. They just live with it. If you can live with it, we'll live with it. Yeah, actually, that's interesting because when I talk to families, the fathers tend to have the most difficulty accepting that their child has Tourette syndrome. By far, it's typically the the, the male that is in denial, that uh, doesn't want to go for treatment, uh, gets angry with uh, mom for seeking out support or help or wanting to get a diagnosis. Um, yeah, I remember this one young man, he, uh, he was 15 at the time and uh, he, he dropped out of school, out of high school. And uh, his, uh, his mom called me and she explained what had happened. And so I got in touch with uh, actually uh, Frank Spartaco, uh, who owns uh, Frank's Catering Baked Goods, who help, has helped us over the years raise funds for our chapter. Yeah. yeah. But so this young man's father, uh, when he would come home, he had a very loud vocal tick. And when he would come home, his father would yell at him and tell him to shut up. Um, and that he blamed his son for his inability to sleep because his vocal tics were so loud. Uh, so he belittled his son. He got angry with his son. I mean, his son wanted to kill himself because, uh, well, he, he didn't want to go to school because he was being humiliated and teased at school. And he comes home to where it's supposed to be safe, secure environment. Um, and dad's just, you know, telling him to shut up and, um, blaming him for his misery uh so that that is like tough 15 15 year old i mean he he just wanted to kill himself anyway i called frank spartico and i said hey frank you know this this kid dropped out of school he wants to end his life what can you do and so frank actually uh hired him um as a student so like doing a co-op so that he could get his credit and finish his schooling and he basically said to uh, this young man, he said, you know, you think that you're, there's no value to your life, but that's not true at all. Um, he said, in fact, I grew up and everybody said to me, you know, you're a loser. You'll never, you'll never amount to anything. And he said, look at me, I've got a, a booming business and uh, I'm doing well for myself. I've got a family. Um, he said, you can do the same thing. You can go into the same trade and uh, basically have your own business one day. And so um, it, he, Frank, 
gave life to this boy again, gave mm-hmm. him another reason to live. Yeah, it, it's really, I find that the thing that um, holds people back um, with Tourette's is really their own um, confidence and their own worries about it. It's not really, uh, it's not really the condition itself that, that prevents people from reaching their potential. It's their own, uh, I guess, their own self, self-conscious uh, feelings or maybe, yeah, that they don't feel like they're good enough or something's wrong with them. Right. Well, you know, a lot of people think that the brain's broken, right? Yeah. You've got Tourette's syndrome, oh, your brain's broken. And um, I think that uh, there's, there is a lot of discrimination out there when someone does identify themselves with Tourette's syndrome. Because people think, well, your brain must not be working properly if you're making those sounds and you're making those movements, right? Um, and that's why education is super important, so that people know right. that uh, you, you can be making movements with your head, with you know your shoulders, doing facial grimacing with your your facial muscles, uh, making different types of sounds or blurting out words. That doesn't mean your brain's broken it just means you think differently you process information differently the electrical impulses in your brain and your body i was going to say i think it doesn't have Tourette syndrome i think you're you're you know it's almost just like there's something in your brain that it does work differently because i mean it is neurological but it's not that's correct it's not a dysfunction you know what I mean? It's not like you you are in, in a, unable to do anything. I actually said this to you, Jill, once. I said, like, maybe everything but a, but a, I think I said a surgeon. And you're like, actually, and is there somebody who's a surgeon with Tourette's? There is, right? Yeah, so there is. He's in Alberta. He's, uh, he's a brain surgeon, actually. Right. And, yeah. when he, and he's also a pilot. So he, oh, yeah. he flies his own plane. And uh, whenever he uh, operates on someone, he's a brain surgeon. Uh, mm-hmm. he does not tick and then yeah. uh, he'll tick when he, he's not operating. But all of that to say that, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. You can do anything that anybody else uh, can do. Now, I there mean, are some yeah. people that have Tourette syndrome that have, uh, there's this one fellow that I know, his, uh, his vocal tick is very loud and his physical ticks are such that he cannot drive. And he won't drive. He takes the bus, the public uh, transportation. And so when he gets on the bus and he makes his loud vocal tick, as well as his physical tick, he draws attention immediately. People look at him and think, what is going on? Interestingly enough, he's got an an incredible sense of humor. And he's able to, you know, when you talk, Jimmy, about what exactly do people say when they're confronted with the fact that, People now see their Tourette syndrome. This mm. fellow is able, he's very witty, and he's able to uh, come out with one-liners about his Tourette syndrome so that people mm. realize, okay, you know, he, he's harmless. He's not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. This is what he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it is always, um, I find it difficult to, uh, you know, we, we speak from, a, from our position with our um, experiences, but, <clears throat> excuse me, and I know that, um, my personal experience with ticking and uh, isn't really that disruptive in terms of being able to, I can, if I ha- absolutely had to, I could hold it in. Um, if I was on a How bus, long? How long did you I mean, I mean, like I said, um, in episode one, I just kind of uh, just do different ones. Like I'll just mm-hmm. move like muscles in my legs and my arms and stuff like that, where no one could really see it. But I think that um, if I was on a bus, no one's noticing about my, you know, my ticks, my face right. blinking and stuff like that. No one's going to be watching to see mm-hmm. that. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't have that same experience. Whereas somebody who instantly makes it known, um, that has to be, that has to be something completely different that I, I can't mm-hmm. even, I couldn't even imagine that. It would be completely different. And um, right. And, and so I guess the way that that, that has to be managed, um, I mean, completely different than the way that I have to manage mine. So, so it's really hard to identify with that. Yeah, it's hard to identify with that, but I think the principle stays the same. It has to. It has to be that you, 
you tell people about it or else you know nothing changes there yeah absolutely yeah yeah Yeah, i uh, I once had this uh, boy he came over he was 15 years old and he he would he would do the catonic uh ticks and he was on the chair and he oh my gosh his body would go rigid and it was constant like constant constant i felt so bad for him because his mom said you know by by two three in the afternoon he is exhausted mm-hmm. from just the whole body tick just like flensing it, it is whole body yeah that's that's the thing that's um, you know, it does get sore sometimes, or, you know, if you're doing the same tick, if you have a bad day, um, it can get, it can get pretty sore. My neck's sore tonight, just because it was one of those days where mm-hmm. you get a little bit of a feeling and then you do it all day because yeah. you just can't shake it. And then tomorrow I'll wake up and I might not even do that tick at all for the day, but yeah, but, I mentioned but the more few... sore that it gets, the more sore that it gets like a canker sore, right. In your mouth, like you want to keep pushing it. Yeah. yeah. You want to keep doing it and keep doing it because it, you feel like it hurts or, or you feel something. So you keep doing it and doing it and it makes it worse. And yeah. Can, I, like a couple problem. weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, Joe, we did a podcast and the whole podcast I was biting inside my lip because I just had like a, that tick and it went away actually after that episode, strangely enough, but that's what I was going to say is actually a way better example. Of that was when I was in grade seven uh, so i was 12 13 years old i think i mentioned this before but it's worth saying again because it was a pretty brutal tick was i as soon as anything would get in my mouth whether it was water milk food doesn't matter i would scrape my tongue like like that with with my teeth and it was a very you could actually hear it because i did it so aggressively and so not only would i not eat but my i also couldn't sorry my uh my tongue would bleed and like over and over and over again. So if I wanted to let my tongue heal, I would have to not eat or drink for a while. And then if I was hungry, I had to deal with potentially doing that. And I was much less able and less kind of in tune to my ticks to know how I could potentially uh, divert that. And I eventually learned that doing this with my neck was a kind of scratch the same itch. Um, but I actually don't, I'm not hundred percent sure. Maybe Jill, you could, you could speak on this. I, I think that it's the case that there are cases of Tourette's where people absolutely like after you go through the puberty phase and the very difficult time, you cannot control it. Is that true? Or can everybody with, withhold it? Cause I only know of people that can slightly withhold their ticks. I think they're all different to be perfectly honest. I've met people who cannot control the ticks at all, at all. And yeah. those that can control them so much that you wouldn't even know they have Tourette's syndrome. So I think there's the, the spectrum of Tourette's syndrome is vast. And yeah. uh, I think there's no uh, hard and fast rules about uh, Tourette's syndrome. I mean, I've met hundreds who have Tourette's syndrome and I've never met two that are the same. Yeah. It's so complicated. There's so many ticks out there, you know, from licking, kissing, sucking, stuttering's a tick. Who would have known yeah. that stuttering's a tick, right? Yeah, we. I didn't know that until uh, I think it was actually your presentation, Joe. Yeah, so there's a, a number of different uh, ticks that, uh, and, you know, they wax and wane, they come and go. Some people keep them for a long time. You know, I remember talking to uh, the head of neurology at the Children's Hospital here in Ottawa. And because one of the parents had told me that when they went to see neurologists at uh, the Children's Hospital, they were told that 33% of people that have Tourette's syndrome will no longer have it by the time they reach uh, Mm. 13, 14 years of age. So I called the head of neurology and I asked him about that. I said, is that true? He says, well, that's the statistics. I said, I got to tell you, I have never met anybody who no longer has Tourette's syndrome. Never. I've never. Well, well what, what we've uh, found out, Jimmy and I, through our research for the podcast, even some stuff that we were talking about uh, that'll come out, <clears throat> I guess that at this point had, had, will already have come out, um, that even if it does subside by, uh, by that, you know, 14, it's actually a chronic condition 
that no matter what you'll have forever. It, it's not something that uh, go, doesn't go away because exactly. it's just, it's, it's just actually, I think like the, you know, this, the brain, the way that your first functions, marriage. it's not, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can't, so you can't cure it. You can't um, talk your way out of it. Uh, nothing like that. So no. I think, I think you adapt, you get clever at hiding your tics, you, you adjust. Um, and there are moments where you might tick less and other moments where you tick more. Uh, but I agree with you hundred percent. I don't think it goes well. I mean, I'm no doctor, I'm not an expert, but just based on the people that I know and my experience, I, I don't think it goes away. Really it's funny. You said, uh, you can't talk your way out of it, but you could definitely talk your way into being less stressed about it. And yes. in turn, Absolutely. in turn, in turn, relieving your symptoms. Right. Yeah, it's a little bit of a paradox there where it's uh, so scary to talk about. Uh, and a lot of people don't want to, but once you do, then you really free yourself from it almost. It's mm -hmm. like, I agree with you. I think that's why these podcasts are super, uh, super important in our virtual support groups that we have with our chapter. I think they're super important because you you basically hear other people talk about the challenges that they have with Tourette's syndrome. And it's even freeing to see young people like the two of you talking about it so openly and freely. Um, I think that uh, when others listen to you, I think you're inspiring. I think you're changing people's lives. And that's why this podcast is super important because you are touching people's lives and making them think, hey, you know what? You got Tourette's syndrome, so what? So what? Yeah, that's really the goal. Um, thanks for those words too, right. Jill. Um, but yeah, it's really just about just to kind of shed some light on the fact that um, everything is normal. Like if you don't if you don't watch the videos that we put up on YouTube of these podcasts, you would just think it's just two guys having a conversation about you know Tourette syndrome. We could be having a conversation about anything, but um, it, we're just one guy has a permanent cold. Yeah, it's just, just uh, constantly sniffling. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, mean, I got to tell you a story about that. Do you mind if I tell you a story? Sure. Go ahead. So years ago, I get a phone call from a mom, uh, and as she's talking to me about her son who has <laughs> syndrome, she's she's making this noise, and <clears throat> she's also like, clearing her throat. Yeah. Right. So she's clearing her throat. So she tells me about her son who's got Tourette syndrome, and his tick is actually a cough. Uh, which has been causing him problems because he's not putting his hand in front of his mouth when he coughs because he doesn't have a cold and people are um, getting upset with him because they're not, he's not putting his hand in front of his mouth uh, to prevent himself from transmitting the cold. Anyway, so the mom explains this to me and she, of course she's calling me because she wants a cure for her son. I've explained to her that there's no cure, but there's different forms of treatment and, um, so we talked for a while and then she goes away with her son. She calls me a year later. And, um, oh, and by the way, when I was talking to her the first time, I asked her, and because she's making all these sounds, I said, oh, do you have Tourette's syndrome too? And she said, oh, no, no, no. I just have like a little thing in my throat. It's, it'll go away. Yeah. Okay. So she calls me a year later because she's still having issues with her son. And as she's talking to me, <coughs> she's <coughs> still doing <coughs> the throat clearing, right? But that, at that point, I thought, you know, I'm not gonna bring it up again because if, if she was in denial the first time, she'll certainly be in denial the second time. Mm -hmm. So and it's interesting how you, you see that, like I was saying before, there's some parents who are in denial, even when they're affected by but, it. But, and again, Jill, like, um, it, because of the way Tourette's is portrayed in Hollywood or um, different things like that, she might just think that she has something caught in her throat forever. Like, mm -hmm. she might not think that that has anything well, exactly. to do with Tourette's, right? Exactly. So, she, so even if you it's said you were... swearing, right? She's no, swearing. exactly. So even if you said something, she would be like, no, I just have... You know, yeah, the first thing you like, would go through wouldn't be Tourette's, would it? It would probably, especially if that was your tick, you'd probably be like, well, I probably have some sort of like condition where <laughs> oh, dry skin at the back of my throat. No, so parents call me and say, yes, I brought my child and I got them uh, looked at by an ear, nose, throat specialist. Mm -hmm. I brought them to uh, an eye specialist because they're, mm -hmm. they're blinking or they're making, it's like constant. It's That was my um, experience yeah. was it, going to 
for allergies. Right. right? Allergies. allergies. Well, yeah, your GP said you had allergies. Yeah, and then he, he continued <laughs> to say that years later too, but yeah. we won't get back yeah. into that. So no, no, just but crazy. it's funny. Like you need, we need to learn. Just as when people get depressed, they get social, they start to socially isolate. They generally, you know, they they lose sleep. They can, they. Uh... Anyway, there's lots of like things that you can cues that people notice. Okay, I notice that person's a little down. Like maybe they're getting upset. Let's talk to them about it. You need to. We need to get the the vocabulary in such that it's oh this person is repeatedly sniffling for two years in a row well we should probably start thinking about some sort of tic disorder or Tourette syndrome now or or you know they tell me they can't control it well it's probably not uh seasonal allergies because you can hold in a sniffle if it's just seasonal allergies you know the other the other point i just wanted to uh touch on is um oftentimes parents will call me and they'll say well i want to see psychiatrists i want to get medication and I'll say to them, why exactly you want to get the medication? Like, what, what's the goal? Well, I want them to stop ticking. And I'll say, well, is, is the person hurting themselves? Are they hurting someone else? No. Okay, so then why would you want them to be medicated? Well, I just don't want them to be doing the ticks. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure that there are, um, like you so mentioned, Jill, there are reasons yes. why people would want to be medicated and there's probably yes. um, situations where that's the most appropriate treatment. Um, but I know that from my experience, I was lucky that my, um, my treating psychologist gave me options first. And he did say there are medications, but there are these other things that you can do first if you want to avoid the medication, because I know that there are side effects that come along with that. And it's not necessarily the best route for um, everybody. Well, not only, not only, yeah, you want your child to stop taking. Well, guess what? That's not going to happen. You put them on medication. That's not going to happen. They're not going to stop taking. They're going to get more tired, and or or like, I don't know. I, I have a pretty strong view towards this because of the inherent negative experience that I had. And they, I hear this from so many people with threats, and read about it on forums online where people say, "I was put on X medication that was meant for ADD." or it was like an experimental drug and they threw me on it and I sleep for 14 to 18 hours a day. <laughs> I'm depressed and I have anxiety. And, um, you know, and my thing is like, if you're still eating, you know, if you're eating McDonald's every day and you don't talk about your Tourette's and uh, you don't get any physical exercise, then you have no business, you know what I mean? Going and getting a prescription because you need to change those. You need to get those things in order because that's going to pay off orders of magnitude more. I, I never thought in my life that I would say this, but um, I'm going to quote Donald Trump. <laughs> and I think he, he didn't, he used to say, you know, when he was trying to deny COVID and everything that the cure was worse than the disease. He kept trying to get that into people's head. But I think yeah. that Jimmy, like what you're saying right now, like it could be that going on the medication um, and, and having those negative side effects, like it could actually be worse for the person with Tourette's than just them living with Tourette's. There are lots of conditions where medication is 100% necessary. And, and, and yeah. I'm sure, I hope one day that they can give you a Tourette's pill. It's got a big T on it and it can help you take less with no adverse side effects. But as somebody with Tourette's, you know, you're operating completely normally. And then you just have this one thing that you're doing or these few things. And then you have this obsessiveness and maybe you're a little bit, have a hard time, harder time learning in class. Right. But, but why, why take that chance with your physiology at 14 years old? Well, especially if way? it's, especially if it's the parents that are kind of leaning toward that yeah because it might like it, it, it in some of these um circumstances it might be worse for the parents because they feel ashamed or embarrassed or something uh, it might be worse for them than it actually is for the kid um, That's a really good point and so that would be that would be tragic to see uh someone a child get medicated for something that you know there's other ways to fix and it might not even be need to be fixed like there's nothing to fix i remember um this one family, um, the boy had Tourette syndrome, and I think he was taking five different medications. Ask me how old he was. He was seven old. years old. Yeah. Seven years old. Seven years old. And I mean, I was, ups 
I was upset. Like, I don't, I don't like to, you know, to your point about there are conditions where medication is. Uh, we always say we're not doctors. Right. But. We're not doctors. But I mean, a seven year old on that much medication. Yeah. yeah. And in, especially, and sometimes I think that, uh, especially if for medicating a child, that can almost reinforce the idea that um, something's wrong with them or that they need to be fixed or yes. that they're broken. Whereas um, it's really, I think there are many other options to look at first, even just empowerment. And like we said, talking about it could be way more effective uh, for their self-esteem and for their tics as a result of that. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we could celebrate Tourette syndrome, say all the great things about what it's like to have Tourette syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you've got ticks that are dysfunctional, that's one thing. But if you've got ticks that are harmless and it's just, it is what it is. At the end of the day, if you're able to help someone else who has Tourette syndrome understand what it is that they have um, by sharing your experiences, then that's a beautiful thing, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to say two things and hope maybe the last one can lead us out. But the, the first thing is, Brandon and I and Jill don't know what it's like to have corpulalia or a case of Tourette's that is so severe that it is causing you nonstop pain and it has for your whole life. And if you're listening to this and you, you have that and you're thinking, well, that's great. You guys can hold in your ticks every now and again, but I can't, or that's like, I would really encourage you to email our email that we have, which is TikTok questions at gmail.com so t-i-c-t-a-l-k questions at gmail.com and then whether it's on a podcast or not we want to broaden the depth of our of our knowledge on Tourette's and would love to hear from you yeah Second and, and thing, I, I sorry so. Jimmy I just want to really yeah. quickly get in yeah we don't want to, um, anyone to feel like we're minimizing their um, their Tourette's or the severity of it because uh, when we maybe we say some blank, blanket, sorry, blanket statements, um, like, you know, talking about it will make it better. But for some people, uh, like, like we mentioned earlier, that's just not the case and they can't right. control it. And it's not. And so we don't want we're not trying to, uh, yeah. to minimize I'm sure that. For some and, people, it can like take the, the medication maybe takes them from an 11 out of 10 to a 9 out of 10. And they don't care how much they're sleeping because their ticks are a little bit better. And that's yeah. like, yes, 100 exactly. percent. I want to hear that. It'd be interesting, actually, to get people who have Tourette syndrome that had complete opposite views of anything that we've said, and to try and understand that, right? I would love to. That's yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What's your uh, What's your email address again? T i c t l k. Yeah. T i c t a l k questions at gmail.com. And, and Jimmy, you had a second point you wanted to make. Well, my second point, which is a little bit of the switch gear, is Jill, you have an infamous elevator pitch for Tourette syndrome. <laughs> and I'm putting you on the spot, but I would love to hear it again because it's fantastic. Well, Tourette syndrome is a complicated neurological condition that's characterized by different tics. So tics can be movements or um, vocal sounds or words or uh, sentences. And the most important thing is to learn to accept people for who they are and never ask someone who's ticking to stop ticking. Um, it's difficult just having Tourette syndrome and a lot of people have associative conditions like ADHD, OCD, anxiety, learning disability, depression, and sleep disorders. And the most important thing is to accept people who have Tourette syndrome, just like you would want others to accept you. Kaboom. That's great. I would love to get that in a clip and then just... Well, as Jill was saying that, I was even, um, so any, anyways, um, we, I, I would like to do that too, put that in a clip and put it at the beginning of the episode, kind of just, yeah. you know, to lead us in. I think in. the last time I did that, I think it was better than this time. That was great. That was great. Um, I don't have any more questions for you, Jill, right now, Brandon. No, I mean, we'll definitely have you back on because Absolutely. Uh, we have, we could talk for hours, I'm sure. We could. Uh, but for uh, you know the listeners' sake and their time, we'll we'll uh, <laughs> we'll end it end it here. And um, unless you have anything you'd like to add, Jill. 
I just want to say thank you again to you both. You're both inspiring, and uh, what you're doing is super important, and you are changing the lives of others. Thank you. Thank you for doing thank this. Thank you, Jill. Thanks, Jill, and thanks for joining us tonight. All right. Well, that was a fantastic episode with Jill. Jill is clearly a wealth of knowledge. And if you want to support the podcast so we can continue to have continue to have Jill on and continue to have some amazing guests on, well, we're not asking for, for much. We're asking you to, to support it by raising awareness for Tourette's. And, and everything that we share in this podcast, we want you to, to put into practice. So we have an email. We have different websites. And uh, I'm going to get Brandon to go ahead and share the email with you in those various websites. So uh, yeah, as Jimmy said, please share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast and uh, get the word out there. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. Um, uh, you can go to Tourette.ca for resources. Um, you can search for your local chapter. And um, if you go to the Ottawa link, you can subscribe to the newsletter as well as sign up for the support group meetings that are uh, very helpful. Um, and, uh, of course, if you want to be a guest on the show or you have any questions or concerns, maybe just general comments, you can email tiktokquestions at gmail.com. <laughs>